Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Galatians chapter 5. Hallelujah. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Anywhere the body of Christ is, that is the house of the Lord. And I'm grateful to be with you this morning, to worship with you, to fellowship with you, to spend time in the Word together. And I just ask you this morning, if you would open your heart to the work of the Spirit of God, for Him to do in you what only He can do. And this morning, we will reach the climax of the letter to the Galatians. This is the fullness of all of the theology of grace that Paul has been building up to all of this point and all the things that he's dealt with in this letter. It's leading to this section of the letter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. As you know, we've been studying this book for probably, I guess, four or five months now in a series that we've called All One by One. All One by One. That we are all one people by the one gospel. Amen? And so the issue was that these Gentile believers had begun to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ through the apostolic ministry of the Apostle Paul and his gospel preaching to them and they had believed the gospel and they were saved and they were fellowshipping together and Paul leaves and these Jews come in and they tell them basically that unless you're circumcised and you keep certain minimal requirements of the Torah, of the law, you cannot be saved. You're not truly part of God's covenant people. We're glad that you've believed on the Messiah, but you've only got one foot in the door and you need to make the rest of the commitment and come all the way in by being circumcised and committed to the law of Moses. And Paul tells them that this little leaven will leaven the whole lump. He tells them that this one change to the gospel will make it no longer the gospel. And he tells them that this law of Moses was a form of slavery. And he doesn't mean that in a negative, ugly sense to speak ill of the law of God, but to say that human nature, apart from the influence of the new covenant grace of God, is so awful that it had to have a law, a covenant, 
full of promises and cursing, of demands and blessings, that if you do these things, good will happen, and if you don't, these consequences will happen, because these consequences were the only way to keep these people in line. And you see the history of the Old Testament, that even with those rules and restraints and that slavery, it didn't keep the majority of them in line for the majority of the time. And so he tells us that we've come into an airship. We've come into a privilege. We've come into a freedom and a benefit and a blessing of being called sons and not slaves. That we've been called to freedom, to live in that freedom. But then there comes the issue of, well, if you're not living under the law, then how are you going to live a righteous and a godly life? If you don't give people these restraints, they will live in sin. They need these restraints. They need this yoke. They need these barriers to keep them in line. And Paul is going to explain to us that the law was an external moral code speaking to a dead heart. But the new covenant is the Spirit of God taking up residence inside of a man to quicken him and make him alive and not just stand afar off and say, do this thing, but to live in his heart and to move his right foot forward and his left foot forward and to walk with him hand in hand, foot and foot into righteousness together that God has made a way not only of grace, but of true righteousness. Amen? And so this is the marker of the new covenant, that under the old covenant, as Israel had failed to keep God's laws over and over and over and over again, and God was pouring out the fullness of His judgment and sending them into Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah gives these promises. Ezekiel gives these promises. And Jeremiah says this, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After these days, declares the Lord, I will take away the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And I will write my laws and my precepts upon the fleshly tablets of their heart. And I will be with them and they will be my people and I will be their God. And no man will teach his neighbor saying, Know the Lord, for each of them shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. That he says, in this, your dead, sinful human state, there's a heart of stone. And the stony law says to a stony heart, obey God. And the stony heart says, I'm dead. How can I? And God says, I'm taking away stones. And I'm going to give life. I'm going to give life. And the word of the Lord says that we come into a covenant of life. And this life is by the Holy Ghost. And this life will lead to righteousness. Oh, beloved, that your hope today would be in the life of the Holy Ghost. That you would be alive by the Spirit of God. And that you would live by the Spirit of God. That the Holy Ghost has made you alive. And the Holy Ghost will lead you into a life of righteousness. This is the covenant that we've come into and it can only be done by the Spirit of God. And so here is the information that we need that we've come into a covenant of grace but for us to live truly holy we can't go back to the law. We can't say I've got to get in by grace and be holy by law. I get in by grace and I live holy by grace. Amen. Let us see the Word 
of the Lord. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. I was so tempted to break this down into at least three sections, and I thought this is one big idea leading from one thought to the next. Let's deal with the whole thing. Amen? So let's see what Paul says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Flat out. No qualifiers. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed. They are warring. They are conflicted to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, revelries or orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to speak to you this morning about the fruit of a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. In other words, not just a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is theoretical. If you walk out of here with a technical understanding of how this works only in your mind that is in theory and no intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit where you know His conviction, you know His prompting, you know His provoking, you know when He brings up the Word of God into your heart to deal with your behavior, unless that happens, it is all in vain. Amen? And what we need is the dynamic, the experiential work of the Spirit of God producing the fruit that He brings in our hearts. Let's pray this morning. God Almighty, I thank You for Your Word and I ask You that You would open our eyes to see that You would help us, that You would quicken us. Lord Almighty, I ask You that You would get me out of the way. Remove every carnal impulse, every pride, every flesh, Lord, every thought that is from below and not from above, and help me to speak the word of the living God accurately and carefully, and give us ears to hear. Teach us, Lord, your ways. Help us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. We can see our text broken down into four sections. Four sections. 
verse 16 to 18 can be understood as instructions to those under grace. 16 to 18, instructions to those under grace. And verse 19 to 21, a diagnosis of human nature apart from grace. A diagnosis of human nature apart from grace. Number 3, verse 22 to 23, God's solution to the problem, to the problem of the works of the flesh. This is what God intends to do about it. This is the contrary. This is the antithesis of the works of the flesh. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And lastly, verse 24 to 26, live by the influence of that solution. Amen? That God has a solution to the problem of the flesh, but you must live by that solution. Amen? Let's look at the first passage this morning, verse 16 to 18, instructions to those under grace. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. He's telling them, I need you to walk by the Spirit of God. Notice that he begins this word with but, or this phrase with but. It's a, it's a way of springboarding off of the issue that he just dealt with from verse 13 to 15, where he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Amen. You've been called to freedom, but don't use this freedom as an occasion or a license to the flesh. Don't say, oh, I'm under grace. I'm not under law. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. No, it does matter what you do. And so don't behave in that carnal way. For he says, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, without, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Amen. So don't say, oh, I'm under grace. Praise God, I'm under grace, but I'm mean as a snake. Amen? Don't sit here arguing over grace and you're being just as ungodly as those trying to put you under law. Amen? Praise God. We we can fall into the mistake that thinking because we are theologically or doctrinally accurate that our character reflects those new beliefs. Amen? That is not always the case. Amen? The first step is learning new truth, and then the next step is learning to not be conceited about it. Amen? Not learning to not be proud and arrogant. Amen? Praise God. Can I tell you something that just might help you this morning? Can I tell you? Can I tell you whatever new revelation that you begin to walk in and understand from now till the time that you enter the kingdom of God, whatever you're going to come into that you look around and go, I don't see anybody else understanding that, anybody else seeing that. I am so spiritual, I know that. Can I tell you, the devil has known that a lot longer than you have. Amen? The way he's able to tell a lie is because he knows what the truth is. Amen? And he knows that long before you ever did, and he is a devil still. Amen? So learning new truth doesn't make you not a devil. It's learning to live according to that truth by the Spirit of God. Amen? And so don't just learn something new. Let God deal with your heart. Amen? And so he's telling them, don't hurt one another. Don't be unkind. Don't be controversial in a rude way. Instead of that, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Let your life, walk is always a word that's used to describe conduct, lifestyle, 
habitual behavior, the way that you behave on a day-to-day basis, not when you're performing, not when you're faking, not when you're especially aware that somebody's watching you and so you're going to act differently, but it's who you truly are in the day-to-day, the manner of your life, walk by the Spirit. That the way that you walk, your lifestyle and your behavior needs to be influenced, led, controlled, and under the dominion and the authority of the Spirit of God. Amen? Jesus is Lord, the Father is Lord, but the Spirit is also Lord. And He has not come into your heart to be passive and to let you rule and reign while He simply gives you the feel-goods and the happies and the free songs so that you get the tinglies and all, isn't this all wonderful? He's come to rule over your heart. And He says, avoid that step and avoid this step. And you need to go here and not go there. And you need to live by that influence. Amen? Walk by the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to influence you. And what does He say? If you do this, and you will not gratify, satisfy, give in to the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh were there from the moment you got born to the day that you die. Amen? These desires are there, they are present, and the difference is that these desires are easy to give in to because they come by feeling. Amen? The desires of the flesh come by feeling, but the desires of the Spirit come by faith. Amen? I can feel a desire of the flesh and give in to that desire of the flesh. But if I have the work of the Spirit of God in my life, I can't make that decision based on feeling because, frankly, the leading of the Spirit of God is always against feeling. Amen? It's against feeling. When Paul says, dealing with the flesh in Romans chapter 6, that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, reckoning has nothing to do with feeling. You may feel very much alive to sin. You may feel very much alive to flesh. You may feel that sin is so powerful in your life. But do you believe that the Spirit is powerful in your life? Amen? Sin might be mighty, but the Spirit of God is almighty. Amen? And your sins and your flesh will scream at you and they will yell at you and they will do everything they can to tell you you have no other choice. You cannot do anything else than this. You are constrained by the flesh. And oftentimes the Spirit of God is a soft whisper in your heart. Don't go that way, go this way. And grace will be there as you take a step of faith and you make a decision by faith. Amen? It is by faith. And so don't give in to the lust of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what the flesh is? All that flesh is is human nature apart from God. Amen? That God created man formed him of the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath in life, and there was a dynamic union between the natural man and the living God. And there was life, and there was relationship, and there was God consciousness, and there was an awareness of God's presence all the time. They were always conscious of God, thinking about God, knowing God, thinking about God's gift of life to them. And they sinned. And ever since then, we've been born apart from God. And the flesh is just who you are without Jesus. Amen? 
So as we're going to get into the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, I know that these things have to do with a change of nature and character, but can I tell you, we've used them as an answer for people who are really desperate so much that you're sitting in church and maybe thinking, you don't need these. Because this is what they teach at Teen Challenge. This is what you teach for drug addicts and for people addicted to pornography and people addicted to alcohol and people with life-destroying issues. Is, is They need to know the works of the flesh and they really need the fruits of the Spirit. But I'm a pretty good Christian. And I don't have any of those major life-destroying works of the flesh going on in my life. Then you've missed the entire point of the passage. Amen? The point of this is not to go to the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst and say there's an answer for you. The point is that your flesh is just as bad as anyone else's flesh, that we are all on a level playing field and it might be dressed up in camouflage and hidden under religious language and religious clothes and a religious book, but your flesh is just as bad as anyone else's flesh. Amen? Do you know the difference between your flesh and Adolf Hitler's flesh and Joseph Stalin's flesh? Do you know the difference between your flesh and the worst person you've ever met in your life? Not a thing. Amen? Might act out in different ways, but brother, all the potential is in you just like it's in them. Isn't this why? Come on now, let's just be honest this morning. Isn't this why? We get so surprised when we find some great big name Christian leader has fallen into some terrible sin and they're exposed and some awful thing comes out and undoubtedly someone will say, them? I can't believe it. They fell into that? They fell into that? That is so bad. I mean, I could understand they fall into this or this or this, but I can't believe they fell into that. Apart from the grace of God, This is where every one of us will be. We are capable of it all. And that is not to say that leaders don't need to be held accountable. Amen? They need to be held accountable. Amen? If you can't hold leaders in the house of God accountable, then no one can be held accountable. Amen? If you get to escape judgment and consequences and church discipline because you've got some letters in front of your name, then all of it means nothing. Amen? It needs to happen, but we need to stop making assumptions that there are those with less awful flesh than other people's flesh. This is why all of us need grace. This is why Paul would perpetually ask the churches, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Can you pray for me? Please pray for me. I appreciate love offerings and gifts and birthday cards and wonderful pats on the back, thank yous. and I'm, I'm so grateful. But if you just pray for me, Just pray for me. Because I know no matter how godly I am and whatever the Lord's delivered me from and whatever God's done in my life, the potential to be as awful as imaginable is present within within this flesh. And I need the grace of God. And I tell you this morning, you need the grace of God. And so I just say this to you as a caveat this morning. Because I don't want you sitting here thinking, you know, there's somebody I know that really needs to hear this teaching because drugs are really wrecking their life or sin is really wrecking their life. Some adultery or pornography is really wrecking their life. Can I tell you, your flesh may not act out in such bold and obvious ways as other people. 
But if you do not have the character and the nature of Christ reflected in your life, you may not reap so many consequences from the kingdom of darkness, but you will be of no use to the kingdom of God. The holiest people I know aren't weeping over these awful, terrible sins. They're offering, they're weeping at the slightest way that they have not been loving or gentle or kind or truthful or bold or patient and reflecting the nature of the Lord. And you desperately need the work of the Spirit in your life. You need Him desperately. And so He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17 For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. You've got two sets of passions in you. This word desires or lusts or passions... Literally, the word describes heat or burning. It is like a yearning, a passion in the heart, a feeling, an affection, a lust, a craving, a desire. And the spirit is craving one thing and the flesh is craving another. And both of these flames are burning in your heart. Amen? Have you ever marveled at your own self? How one moment you can so deny the flesh and self and pride and see the character of Christ come through in your life in a way that shocks you and in the very next moment you behave in a way that you say, that was so unlike Jesus. How could I do that? Because they're both there vying for control and their desires could not be more different than one another. Amen? The American dream and... America versus communism has never been more polar opposite than God and the flesh. Amen? You take the two greatest enemies, one to one polar extreme and one to the other, as far apart as imaginable, and none of them has ever been so separated as the lust of the Spirit and the lust of the flesh. And both of them are playing tug of war with your heart. And the flesh is craving itself and pride and vanity and ego and all of those things. And the Spirit of God is craving for the glory of God and the love of neighbor. Amen? And these two are opposed to each other. Listen to that word. They are opposed to each other. They are fighting. They are warring against each other in your heart. Amen? There's a war going on. There's a war. That's why one dear friend of mine coined the term the miserable Christian. The miserable Christian that doesn't understand how to live for God under the grace of the Lord. And there's this war going on and they're just miserable feeling like they're a stray horse wandering through the crossfire of two battlefields just getting hit on each side. Why, why is this happening? Just getting nailed from both sides. Because there's a war that's going on. The lust of the Spirit in the lust of the flesh. Can I ask you this morning, who's winning the war in your life? Who's winning the war? I didn't ask you if there's some awful addiction or terrible sin that everyone, if they found out, would be so shocked and appalled. Who's winning the war? They are opposed to each other. And what happens to keep you from doing the things you want to do? You can't make a decision. 
pulled to the left, pulled to the right. You're wanting to follow all the way after the Lord, but this thing keeps pulling you over two steps forward and two steps back. And you meet Christians that have been saved for 40 years and they're just the same Christian that they were 40 years ago. How? Were there not moments of conviction? Were there not moments of joy and life and conviction and righteousness? But the war has been at a stalemate. They'll give in. They'll be giving and loving and sacrificial and kind. And then they give in to pride and vanity and foolishness. They stay in the same place. And the war rages on. And they keep you from doing the things you want to do. But that's not the way that the Christian life ought to be lived. That you ought to be living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he says this in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Don't lose sight of the fact that what Paul is addressing here is the way that Christians live holy under the new covenant. Amen? And he's saying, you can be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, but if the Spirit is leading you, if you sense His presence in your heart and in your life, bringing you to righteousness and conviction and love and hope and joy and all of these things, that's not a promise under the Old Covenant. You don't get that under the law. There's nothing in the law that promises that you get the Holy Spirit abiding in you and working dynamically in your life. And so are you going to trade one for the other? Amen? This is why you must be persuaded of justification by faith alone and sanctification by faith alone. That it is all the work of the Spirit of God in your heart through the cross. That Jesus has purchased salvation. Jesus has purchased holiness. Jesus has purchased the work of the Spirit in your life. And it is only through the merit of that work of Christ that you get this internal working of the Spirit of God. Amen? Is the Spirit dealing with you? I hope He's dealing with you. Is He convicting anybody? Is He dealing with you? Is He showing you things that ought not to be there? When's the last time you wept over your sin? It is the work of the Spirit of God in you. You would not do that on your own. Amen? The world doesn't weep over their sins. They weep over the consequences over their sins. They weep because they don't like feeling guilty. They weep because they think that they're really good. And when they show themselves to be bad, it hurts their self-ego and their pride. But the Christian weeps because he's offended the God that he loves. That, That new nature is not so concerned with preserving an image. It is concerned... The preserving the intimacy between God and Himself. That He wants to serve the God that He loves and the God that saved Him. And that's only under the new covenant. That's only under grace. It says in verse 19, and this is getting to the diagnosis of human nature apart from grace. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're, they're obvious. They're, they're shown. Amen. It doesn't mean that they're always evident in every person because that's the reason for the, the game of hypocrisy, right? You put a mask on so that people don't see what's really underneath. You put on a, a face covering something that is one portrayal of who you are that's dishonest and there's another person underneath. It's not saying that you can always see these works of the flesh in people, but what it's saying is you can see that these works are of the flesh. When you see them, when they show up, you know that that's not the Lord. Amen? Amen? 
There are things that you can see in the character and the nature of people that whether they're right, and this is a big one, amen, when Christians have opinions one way or the other and ideas and whatever, and you may say, you know what, that idea is right, but that character I see in you, I just know that ain't God. That ain't the Lord. That doesn't look like the Jesus that I see in the Word of the Lord. Amen. And so the works of the flesh are evident. Now I want you to see that the works of the flesh fall into four categories of sin. Four categories of sin. There are 15 works of the flesh. The first of these four categories is three sins that are violations of sexual morality. Number two, two sins from the religious realm. Verse 3, eight sins pertaining to conduct in regard to other human being. In other words, social sins. And number four is two typically pagan sins, drunkenness and revelings, which accompany it. All right? So you can study these in depth more later. I wish we had time to go over all of them in depth, but we're just going to look at these things. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, porneia. This is the most broad general term for sexual sin. And in the Word of God, it is every sexual act that is not between a married man and a married woman in an act of love. Amen? Everything outside of that is porneia. It's fornication. It's sexual immorality. It is something that has to do with the sexual nature that God created within a man and in a woman to be exercised in one godly way in the confines of a loving, committed relationship between a husband and a wife. And everything outside of that umbrella is fornication. It's sexual immorality. What about pornography? Didn't touch anyone. Didn't call anyone. Didn't talk to anyone. It's outside of a committed marriage, loving relationship between a husband and a wife. What about flirting with someone that's not your spouse? Is it romantic? Is it sexual? It's outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Everything outside of that parameter is sin before God. And it is a violation of the holy thing that God intended for it to be. Sexual immorality, impurity, things that are impure, sensuality, the the sensual things, the feeling things, acting sensual outside of that. Next is idolatry, the worship of idols, sorcery or witchcraft. Amen? Witchcraft. To worship something other than God and all religion outside of the new covenant, relationship with Christ, everything other than worshiping the God of the Bible is witchcraft. Because within every system of religion in the world, there is the sense of I will appease God by the things that I do and therefore will earn His favor. And it always turns into a way of manipulating God to do what we want Him to do. Amen? It always turns into God is a tool. He is a a means to an end. He is not the end in Himself. Amen? This is the most unique difference in the new covenant and in the relationship of God, or the relationship we have with God, the God of the Bible. It's that God is always the end itself. Amen? That the purpose is to get God back and for God to get us back, not to use God so that our crops come in and that we get healthy and we get to manipulate certain circumstances. And maybe if we do this thing or say that thing, we'll be able to make things happen a certain way. The Christian relationship to God is I come to God and I can make my requests known to God, but at the end of the day, not my will, but thy will be done. 
And everything outside of that is witchcraft. Amen? A utilitarian Christ. A Christ that is only there for your purposes is witchcraft. And so Jesus says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself. Not bring yourself and say, I have these demands that I would like to bring with me. Amen? And so when we see Jesus heal these sickly physical bodies, we rejoice and we celebrate and we say, praise the Lord. By His stripes we are healed. And when we pray and we ask God to heal and He doesn't heal, we say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we fall down and worship because ours is not a covenant that promises we always get to get our way. That God is wiser than us. Witchcraft, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger or rage, rivalries, dissensions and divisions, envy, all of these things that have to do with sinning against others, jealous of others, causing division, breaking relationships, hurting other people's feelings in an ungodly way, being hurtful to them. All of it works of the flesh. All of it works of the flesh. Drunkenness and revelries or orgies. These are the pagan practices that they would do under the false idols that they would worship. And We have children in the sanctuary and so I won't go into what these ideas mean in the original language, but you look it up and you'll find God-awful things which are becoming more and more common in our culture today. Isn't that the surprising thing? We look at some of these things from people of old and go, how could they do those awful things? And more and more our culture rejects God and rejects the Bible and rejects the truth of the Lord and we see these things flooding more and more and more and more into our culture. And I grew up in a church where my pastor would preach and I remember hearing these old men of God say, today they're trying to normalize homosexuality, but tomorrow it will be pedophilia. Tomorrow it will be all of these other awful things and strange and changing sexuality. And I remember people laughing and thinking, you're nuts, you're crazy, what are you talking about? We just, culture just wants you to not have to participate, but just say these things are morally acceptable. And now it's just not morally acceptable, you have to approve of it. And the people that called them crazy 20 years ago, that's nuts, it'll never be acceptable are now going, a child should be able to consent. These are major political platforms claiming these ideas, claiming that a child should be able to have a sex change operation without the information or approval of their parents. And in Canada and in Texas, in Texas, here in the United States of America, Texas, the last stand of the republic, Right? America's core constitutional liberties in Texas. A man is having his five-year-old son, his, his privileges of being that boy's father and being in his life, taken away because the mother is a judge and says, he identifies as a girl and we are going to give him hormone therapies and change him to where he is physically going to be changed into a woman. And because the father doesn't approve, he doesn't get visiting rights. He doesn't get any medical say-so over that child. And they are going to do this to this boy, even though the boy has repeatedly said, I don't believe I'm a girl. Mommy thinks that. 
and this in 20 years. And so don't look at this in the Bible and go, those terrible people, how could they? The more and more our culture drifts from God, the more and more you won't have to go to a Bible and say, what do the works of the flesh look like? It will be far greater than you ever could have imagined. And it will be in our culture. Where will we be in a hundred years if the church doesn't begin preaching truth and repentance and the restoration power of God? Amen? Amen? And so this is why it's important. If you would say, but I don't understand, it's not that bad, it's just pornography, it's just once a week or once a month or once every few months I fall off the bandwagon, it's just a problem. If you cannot tell somebody else that you have found healing and restoration in a broken sexuality and that the Lord has shown you the sin of it and restored you to righteousness in your own life, how can you look at someone else who says, I know that it's wrong, but I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. How can you say, to them, Jesus can heal your sexuality. How can you say it to them if you've not experienced it your own self? How can you say it? And he says, and things like these, (laughs) there's no way to get to the end of the list. Right? The Word of God calls people inventors of evil. Inventors. We've run out of every way of sinning possible. We'll find a new way. It'll be an iPhone 12 and an iPhone 14. And we'll find a way to improve on this sin. And things like these. And Paul gives a solemn reminder. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? This message of grace is not a message of live any way that you want to and you still get to know God and you still get to be saved and you still get to enter the kingdom of God. This message is the Lord will give you His righteousness fixed to your account. He will justify you, but then He will change you to look like your justification. Amen? That He will make you look like the righteousness that He has given you. This is the grace of God. So there's a warning You don't live believing that it's okay to sin against the Lord. Notice that he uses this phrase, inherit the kingdom of God. He talked about in chapter 3 and chapter 4 about the inheritance, the inheritance, the inheritance. Under the law, the inheritance was land. Right? You get the inheritance of Canaan land. This was their inheritance. This was the, the purpose of the laws. You get to stay in the land. It's a covenant tied to this physical boundaries of the promised land. And our promise is the kingdom of God in heaven come on earth. Amen? The kingdom of God. It's an eschatological promise that through the grace of God we get that kingdom. And he says in verse 22... Verse 22, notice in the works of the flesh, there were four categories of sin. In the fruit of the Spirit, there are nine virtues. And he says that there are three categories of the fruit of the Spirit with three virtues each. So three categories. The first three appear to comprise Christian habits of mind in their more general aspect. They primarily direction, their primary direction is Godward. Three, 
they primarily, con- or number two, three of them primarily concern the Christian and his relationship to others and social virtues. And thirdly, the last three concern the Christian as he is to be in himself. Amen? And so I need to have virtues in my mind in the way that I think towards God, and I need virtues in the way that I act towards you, and there are also virtues that have to do nothing with the way I act, but who I am in here. This is the real grit and root of Christianity is what I am on the inside. Amen? And so these virtues, this is God's solution to the problem of the works of the flesh. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Do you remember what he said just verses before in verse 14? For he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so if having love and loving God and loving your neighbor will satisfy every demand of God's word and the Spirit produces love in me, then I will be doing everything according to the word of God. Amen? I will be doing what God wants me to do. It produces love in me. Has the Spirit of God produced love in you? Amen? Can you turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and read that section on love and put your name there? Right? You've heard that before, right? I'm not, I'm not original on it. Come up with that. Somebody said that, right? Can you turn to that and say, put your name, my name, Bruce is patient. Bruce is slow to anger. Bruce doesn't rejoice in wrong day. Can you put your name? Stephen. Stephen loves. Stephen forgives. Stephen keeps no record of wrong. Stephen never fails. Never quits and never gives up. Never gives up. Can you put your name there? And say that my love never quits, never gives up. That's what the Spirit will produce in you. Amen? That is what the Spirit will produce in you. Some scholars have said that because this is, the word fruit is in the singular, that specifically it is love that is the fruit singular of the Spirit. And all of these other uh, virtues are simply characteristics of love. That could be understood, and all of it surely does. It all makes sense. There are always examples in the Word of God of love acting in all of these ways as kind and patient and good and faithful and all of those things. Or it could be that it's not talking about fruit as in different kinds of fruit, as in pears and apples and oranges, but it is the produce of the Spirit. Singular. The Spirit produces all of these things, not as separate individual things where I'm loving but I'm not patient. Right? No. The, the Spirit produces all of these things. It is always provoking us to this kind of behavior. Notice that in verse 23, it's the works of the flesh. The works, the energy, the working, the doing. It is the activity of the flesh that is talked about. But here it's not the works of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? It's not the behavior, it's the nature behind the behavior. 
Amen. You can make any mechanical system to do works, right? You can create something to do that. And some have tried to turn these truths about how the Christian life is lived into some sort of mechanical thing. Well, if I place my faith in Christ and I understand grace, then the Spirit of God will be at work in me. Then I can live a holy life and I can have victory over sin. I understand that. But at the end of the day, you're turning it into a mechanism. The point is, it's not a mechanism, it's a relationship. That is, the Holy Spirit is in your life. There's a dynamic working there where He's producing something. Fruit grows. Amen? Have you ever seen an orange tree struggle to produce an orange? It doesn't fight. It doesn't work. It doesn't try to do it. If the root is healthy, the tree is healthy. And if it's got the water and it's got the light, it will produce the things that it's intended to produce. And if your relationship with the Holy Spirit is healthy, if the roots go down deep, if the Word of God shines upon your heart, if the rain of the Holy Ghost is poured out on your heart in evening and morning, the fruit will be produced. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that He will produce these things in your heart, that you will be godly to your neighbor, you will be loving and obedient to your Lord, and you will have an internal character and hope that nothing can quench. Amen? Peace and joy. These are the fruits of the Spirit of God. Now listen to this sort of anticlimactic, understated sentence at the end. He says, Against such things there is no law. You could say... Well, all of these things fulfill the law. But Paul is being a little bit sarcastic here. He's saying the Spirit isn't going to produce anything in you that is going to contradict the Word of God. Amen? The Holy Spirit isn't going to produce anything in you that you're then going to go look at the law of God and look at the Word of God and say, oh, there's a law against this thing the Holy Spirit worked in my heart. And so it's an answer to the Judaizers, to those who are saying, how are you going to be righteous? You're going to break the law. And he says, what the Holy Spirit produces doesn't break laws. Amen? It produces a real, tangible righteousness in our life. The new covenant is a better answer. Amen? The new covenant is a better answer. And so he says, the last passage, verse 24 to 26 that we ought to live by the influence of that solution. He says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you belong to Christ? Are you born again? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Well, then you have crucified the flesh. Notice that this is not in a passive sense the way that almost all of Paul's other references to being crucified are. Most of the time it's we have been crucified with Christ, that Christ has crucified us with Him, that He has done this work in our heart. And here Paul says that we have crucified the flesh. We have made a choice to give up that old nature and to see it die. That God has condemned it and condemned it to die and we signed on the dotted line and said we agree that this old nature ought to die. This is what Jesus means. This is a working out of Jesus' command to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That you agree that this old nature and His old ways and His old passions and His old lusts, that they're dead. And so when we read the command, don't walk by the desires of the flesh, this isn't some mean command. You already signed up for this. 
You already signed up for it. You already had an opportunity to see that the Word of God condemns who you are outside of grace. And He's commanded you to put those things to death. Amen? This is the life you've signed up for. Those that, have belong, those that belong to Christ have crucified the lusts, the flesh, with its passions and desires. And so he says in verse 25, if we then live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Here's the point this morning. That if the Holy Spirit has made you alive... He's come in and He's given you the life of Christ. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were separated from God. You've been made alive together with Christ. You've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are saved and there is a new life in you. Then you ought to live by that life. Amen? That you ought not just allow the Holy Spirit to make you alive and now the the lust of the Spirit are against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the flesh are against the Spirit. You've got to begin choosing to follow one and not the other. Amen? Begin choosing one and not the other. You're alive. And if you weren't alive, you wouldn't notice the conflict. Amen? Some Christians have told me, I don't know that I'm saved because I still feel tempted and I still feel pulled in this direction. And I'll tell you, if you're convicted by that and you want to live holy, that is the witness that you are born again, that you are alive to the Spirit of God, that there is conviction in you, but you now need to give room to the Holy Spirit and say, I will follow your convictions. I'm not just alive by the Spirit. I want to walk by the Spirit. I want to experience the transforming influence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Let Him have His way. Let Him have His way. This is a dynamic walk. Amen? This is the Lord coming to change the affections. Amen? And so what we need to begin to do is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and His desires. Amen? When the Holy Spirit is grieved, do you know it? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Have you ever known when the Lord was grieved with you? You gave in to some attitude, some thought, some temptation, and immediately the grief of the Lord. It wasn't just feeling condemned. That's the baby Christian stuff, feeling guilty. It's when you know that you've grieved the one that you love, that it tears you to pieces. I can't believe I broke his heart. I've grieved him. When he shares his desires with you, amen? That is the fruit of a growing relationship. The fruit of 10 years of marriage, and I know there are those of you who would laugh at 10 years. The Lord has given you wonderfully more decades than that, and that's wonderful. But at 10 years, I'm realizing how much, it's not just about trying to have peace in my home. It's not just about trying to, she gets her way sometimes, and I get my way sometimes. As I begin to love my wife more, and she loves me more, We're beginning to pursue each other's desires. I want to please her. I want to make her happy. Not just because of puppy love, but because there's a love there. Amen? It's not just because, hey, when I'm good to her, she's good to me. Right? Brought her flowers, and then she was, you know, smoochy and sweet. Oh, isn't that wonderful? No. Got nothing to do with what I get in return. But if I love that person, I want to care about their desires. 
and the desires of the Spirit of God are being stirred in your heart. He says, I want to be patient. But I don't want to be patient. My flesh is aching to lash out and let them know what they did and what they said and to get them back. Patient. Gentle. Gentle. But Lord, they they did wrong and they need to know that they did wrong. You can let them know that they did wrong, but can you do it gently? Amen? Can you be tender? How many times did the Lord rebuke His people? Not just correct, rebuke, but rebuke with tenderness. Amen? Word of the Lord through Isaiah, speak tenderly to my people. Comfort, comfort my people. There's rebuke, there's correction, but tenderness, meekness, self-control, restraining the self, joy, patience. I don't feel like having joy. I want a pity party. I want to whine. I want to complain. Right? How are you? Oh, don't ask me today. Right? Joy. Peace. I don't want peace. I want to dwell on what's wrong and I want to keep thinking about it until my heart is in a tizzy. It feels like it's in a blender and it's frenzied and it's worried and it's afraid. I'm thinking of everything that can go wrong and just not at ease. It's amazing, isn't it? How you can want to feel miserable. Isn't that amazing? That the Lord says, I want to give you peace. Be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God who cares for you. He cares for you. And because He cares, you don't have to be anxious, but you can have peace. And the peace of God which surpasses understanding shall guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I don't want peace. I want to be conflicted. I would rather sit here and just go, it's awful and it can't help but be awful and everything's bad. The Spirit wants to stir these desires in your heart. Will you respond to Him? Will you walk with Him? Amen? The ways of the Lord are not comfortable for your flesh. They are flesh-crucifying ways. Amen? Can I tell you, every way that God has ever spoken to me has always been in direct conflict with what I thought was the right decision. Amen? I could almost live the Christian life just by saying, whatever I think, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Right? If if I'm trying to go around to the right or around to the left, probably the right thing is straight down the middle. Amen? It's all right. We don't need an offering this morning. It's okay. We'll We'll have church with candlelight next week. It's okay. I don't mind. We're all right. There are the desires of the Spirit and then there are your desires. And guess whose desires are right? Guess whose desires are better? Guess whose desires are fruitful? Do you really believe that if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption? Do you believe that? If you believe that, then why keep sowing to the flesh? Oh, the flesh is terrible. We'll say with Paul, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, but I'm going to be self-willed. 
I want to go my way. I want to do what I want to do. I think that I know the wise way. Our confessions are not true. Amen. This morning we sound, we sung the song, I give myself away. I give myself away. So you can use me. Then we said, My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. And we'll say, I'm not mine. I belong to you. Do with me whatever you please. And then we'll go out and resist the desires of the Spirit and walk in the flesh. A.W. Tozer said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. We sing them. Give myself away. Holding on to myself. Here I am, Lord. You walk after the Spirit. And finally, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It ends with this command that ends with the idea of don't be conceited in your own self, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, provoking one another, stirring up issues, or envying one another, being selfish. Aren't these the things that he just addressed that love deals with? And what the works of the flesh are. They're not Godward. The works of the flesh are not Godward. The works of the flesh are against other people. And the works of the flesh are internally sinful. And he's saying, you need to be concerned about the way that you treat other people. This has to end with a practical idea. It has to end with a practical life. And I say to you that if you sat here and you said, I agree. Amen. That's true. That's That's the understanding of that passage, and we agree that that's what that means. God doesn't care that you agree. He was right before you were ever able to understand what He said and agree or disagree. He doesn't need you to agree. He wants to change your heart. And the only way to do that is to live in that dynamic relationship where the Holy Spirit is at the driver's seat, and you're not in the passenger seat, and you're not a backseat driver. But as Paris Reedhead once said, You go to the trunk of the car, you put in the key, you open it, you shut the lid, you hand it to Jesus and say, fill it up with whatever you want and go whatever you want. This is yours, Jesus. It's all up to you. Amen? Amen. Will you seek the Lord? Say, God, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to live, I want to please you and I want to serve you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray this morning. Lord, there is no need for performance or show. No need for pretense. We've got to do business with you. And either this is the way we want to live or it isn't. Either we want the Spirit to be in control or we want to be in control. Either our lives our lives that have been crucified to the flesh and alive to God where they aren't. 
Father, we're living under grace and allowing the Spirit of God to have free reign over us or we're living unto ourselves. And we need you. We need you desperately. Come and to deal with your people. I need you to deal with me. You've got to deal with me. You've got to deal with me. Lord, your desires must rise in my heart. Help me to know you're stirring. Help me to discern the desires of the Spirit and love them. And help me to discern the desires of the flesh and hate them. And teach me to walk in your precepts and in your ways. Teach me, Lord, to walk in relationship with the Holy Ghost. Teach me to live out of this new nature and this new man. God Almighty, you must come and you must speak to us. Saints of God, I ask you if you would stand and you would lift your hands to the Lord in holy surrender. And you just ask the Lord that he have his way in your heart. You ask the Lord that he speak to you. You ask him to minister to your heart and to show you your heart. Ask him to deal with you. Lord Almighty, we ask you, God Almighty, would you come and deal kindly with us? We ask you, would you come and show us your way? Would you come and help us to live this life of Christ? Lord, we just want to serve you. We want to obey you. We want to be surrendered to you. Lord, allow absolute surrender. Just pray, saints. Just do business with God. Offer to the Lord sacrifices of a broken and a contrite heart. He won't despise them. Offer it up to the Lord. Ask Him to come and to deal with you. Hallelujah. Have your way, Jesus.
I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. I time I surrender. I surrender all, Jesus. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender just surrender it all to you. Lord, withholding nothing, holding nothing back from you. You are Lord to the glory of God the Father. You are Lord. You reign. And we submit our hearts to you. And we ask you that you would teach us to walk in step with the Spirit of God. Teach us to love His ways, to love His truth, to love His glory, and that we would treasure it above all else that we would walk crucified to this flesh and alive to the glory of God. Do what only you can do in our hearts, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.